It's been raining almost all day long, probably the entire day, and it might even continue for several more hours. Now, this continuous rain very much uh, might remind uh, at least uh, some of us here of uh, practice in uh, some Asian countries like uh, Burma uh, or uh, Thailand, where during the rainy season, so July, August, September, sometimes into October, it rains in certain places, it rains like at least uh, uh, once every day, in some places even quite a bit. Now, this being so, with all the rainfall, naturally not many social activities take place during this rainy season. As a result of this, it tends to be a quiet certain period and a period really good for what? for practice, for mindfulness meditation practice. And uh, with all the rain, there's really nowhere uh, to go. And uh, mm, with the rain falling onto the roof and this suddenly then producing a constant suddenly sound, then not easily it one you know, the mind gets certainly concentrated and easily you know, relatively easily one can be mindful you know, throughout uh, the day now the topic for our demo talk today is nothing other than qualities of mindfulness to be especially you know, developed on a day like our day today, but also any other day. And there are many qualities to mindfulness. Now, when in, uh, we find certain uh, various uh, references you know, to uh, mindfulness in uh, the texts. Uh, we find plenty of references in uh, the Satipatthana the Sutta itself, uh, but also in uh, the Satipatthana Samyutta, so the collection of discourses on mindfulness um, of uh, the Samyutta Nikaya, and Sapna then also elsewhere in the Anguttara Nikaya, and Sapna other uh, places. Now, the Buddha says that uh, when we engage in uh, this uh, uh, practice referred to as satipatthana meditation, then we uh, should be mindful of uh, um, bodily formations of feelings in feelings, of uh, the mind in the mind, and satna uh, dhammas in uh, dhammas. And this uh, uh, mindfulness needs, uh, needs to be accompanied by clear comprehension and satna uh, ardent satna uh, effort atapi in the Pali scriptural language. Now, the term Satipatthana 
has been interpreted in a number of different ways and for instance as such as certain foundation of mindfulness this is the interpretation based on the word or breaking up the word satipatthana into sati and patana then there is another way of interpreting the term satipatthana namely as sati and upatana and the meaning then is as firm as close firm and steadfast establishment of mindfulness on the respective object of observation and this is the preferred interpretation in the mahasi tradition now there's yet another actually two more ways of interpreting this term namely as again sati and upatana but certainly here the upatana the word upatana is more in the sense of presence or attending to so attending to an object with mindfulness presence of mindfulness in regard to whatever predominant object comes up now, this is an interpretation uh, uh, proposed by Professor Rice Davids as well as Venerable Analaya. Then we have Fatna Venerable Sadhu Pandita Bhivamsa of Fatna Burma, who paid, includes the or gives special emphasis to the particle pa in the middle of the word satipatthana and this word then carries extra significance that we will explore in the course of the talk now, Venerable Sadhu Pandita's interpretation is obviously based on the texts, the commentaries. Now, in order to gain a better understanding of the term, the Pali, the scriptural term, it's helpful to take a closer look at the Dhamma Sangani, the first volume of the Abhidhamma, that explains and defines a number of the essential terms. And there it says that this mindfulness is constant mindfulness is recollection is mindfulness which is remembering bearing in mind and also non-superficiality which we will discuss in a moment it's certain characteristic as well as non-forgetfulness its certain function and then mindfulness as a faculty of mindfulness power of mindfulness and right mindfulness so the term mindfulness occurs in the text in different you know, contexts and depending on the context uh, you know, the wording you know, differs a little bit 
Now, modern words certainly that have been proposed as renderings for the Pali word sati are not only mindfulness but also awareness as well as the presence of mind, attentiveness and attentiveness to the present, wakefulness, heedfulness, and uh, in order to bring across the dynamic quality of mindfulness, the venerable Nisadu Pandita Bhimams of Burma has proposed to use the word observing power. Now, in terms of its position in the Buddhist Abhidhamma, mindfulness is clearly one of the universal, beautiful mental states. And Satna is invariably present in all beautiful consciousness and it arises together with other beautiful mental states as well as ethically variable mental states. But it does not arise together with unwholesome mental states. Now, this mindfulness that we are cultivating here on the retreat and ideally also off the retreat then needs to be employed in the observation of bodily formations of feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings of mind and mind-related phenomena and then dhammas. Even though we distinguish between four categories of objects, yet the essence of mindfulness remains the same, namely just mindfulness. Now, in the text, it certainly says, Kaye kaye nupasi viharati, ata pisambajano satima, vinia log abija dominasam, abija dominasam. Namely, that we, we dwell contemplating the body in the body, and then vednasu vednanupasi viharati. We dwell contemplating feelings in feelings. We dwell contemplating the mind in the mind and dhammas in dhammas. So this reflexive character or this particular way of speaking of footnote mindfulness as in the Satipatthana Sutta, tries to bring about a certain meaning or certain aspect, namely the reflexive footing character. And so when we observe a bodily formation, then we do it so exclusively. Then our attention is fully on that particular bodily formation. 
And we're not at that point engaged or occupied with contemplating or contemplation of the feeling. On the other hand, when feeling is our prominent object of observation, then our full attention goes to the feeling. And the same thing goes for the other two categories of objects. So we isolate each domain of mindfulness from the others. And we do so in order to strip the mind from unnecessary layers of mental proliferation, as Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi has suggested. So, when we observe an object like the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, then we observe it as simply rising and falling and not a person or a self who is breathing. When we observe a feeling, then we observe it simply as a feeling and not as an episode in a long biography. When we observe states of mind as simply states of mind and not as scenes in a personal drama. When it comes to observing Dhamma aspects, then again we observe them just as Dhamma aspects and not as personal achievements or liabilities as Venerable Bodhi is suggesting. Now, the characteristic of mindfulness is certainly given as non-superficiality, apilapana, lakana, in the Pani scripture language, which means when we observe an object, our attention does not want to skim over the surface of the object, but rather it wants to sink into the object. The commentators have given a negative footness simile for this. If one were to throw a dried and hollow pumpkin onto, let's say, the surface of a river, then this pumpkin naturally will float on the surface. And it will not sink to the bed of the river. But if we throw, let's say, a stone into the river, then it will sink into the river and to its very bottom. So our mindfulness should be like that stone thrown into a river. And it is under these under such circumstances that a clear knowledge or understanding of the respective object its qualities its features will be possible now briefly I will mention the other main features of mindfulness, namely its certain function 
and Satnya then also its Satnya two manifestations and Satnya then also its Satnya two proximate causes and then we shall go on and look at Satnya other qualities of mindfulness. To some of you, this Satnya is already familiar territory. You've heard this Satnya before. To some others, it might still be relatively new. Later on, we'll deal with with some similes that Satnya the Buddha has used in the context of mindfulness. So the uh, function of uh, mindfulness in the Pani scriptural language is given as asamosa rasa, which uh, means uh, non-forgetfulness or absence of confusion, or we can say keeping uh, the object uh, in view. And so, as as long as the predominant object is satnya there, then we want to keep our attention on it. We we do not want to lose satnya sight of this particular object. And satnya, just like in a soccer game, all the players will keep putting the football. Uh, in uh, view, so too in our mindfulness satna practice, we want to keep, we want not to lose satna track of the uh, most prominent satna object. Now, the text, especially the Visuddhimagga, the path of purification, speaks of two manifestations of mindfulness. A manifestation is how we experience it in our practice. So that's directly experienceable by us as retreatants. And so the first manifestation is as a state of confrontation, literally a state of being face to face with the prominent object. And the second manifestation is as protection or guardianship in the Pali scriptural language given as Araka Bachupatana. Now, back to the first uh, manifestation, mm, the Pali for uh, this is Visya Bhimukha Bhava Pachapatana, and certainly it means uh, uh, Mukha is your face, and Satna then Visya Bhimukha is your is being face to face. Bhava means satna state. So the manifestation of the state of being face to face with the objective field, namely Visya. Abhimukha is face to face, being face to face, sorry. So when observing, 
a prominent satna object satna then really we want to confront it we want satna to be face to face with it in order to clearly perceive observe and satna know its satna qualities when if you happen to be in a museum uh, or let's say in an art certain gallery yeah, then you have to be face to face certain to a piece of art in order you know, to you know, fully um, appreciate it to see all of its certain many uh, details What meditators can experience uh, when you know, their mindfulness has been quite continuous for you know, some time is a you know, purity of the mind and a tangible purity of the mind. Purity in the sense of absence of mental defilements. Now, this certain purity of the mind is the second approximate cause of sorry second manifestation of mindfulness namely as protection or guardianship what happens is in the face of or in the presence of continuous mindfulness unwholesome mental states do not have a chance to arise in the stream of consciousness so Mindfulness keeps them uh, away. Mindfulness certainly acts as a gatekeeper, just like a gatekeeper of a town will uh, allow in only the citizens of uh, this town and not other people. and so too, mindfulness allows in only wholesome states. So the result then is that the mind is protected from the attack of unwholesome mental states or by unwholesome mental states. Now, when one first hears about this second manifestation of mindfulness, one might not necessarily fathom the implications. And the implications for practice and for life in general are tremendous. So, it may happen that during retreat or outside of retreat, owing to a discontinuity of our mindfulness, all of a sudden we get attacked by fear, or it could be anxiety, any unwholesome mental state. And and then, in the presence of fear or anxiety, one might suddenly become even less mindful and suddenly get totally carried away by those certain mental states. 
And it is in this kind of a situation that one quickly needs to remember the importance of the continuity of mindfulness and work on this, try to establish this as much as possible, because this will break the cycle. This then will cause at least a couple of moments of uh, pure uh, mind uh, moments in between, before uh, fear uh, or anxiety are uh, back. Now, if you keep working on this sudden continuity of mindfulness, then gradually uh, the fear, you know, the anxiety you know, will you know, lose you know, their momentum and then will subside. Also, you know, keep you know, the second manifestation in mind. It's really useful for both practice as well, uh, intensive practice as well as sudden life uh, uh, in general. The two proximate causes for the arising of Fatna mindfulness are you know, the following. The first one is given in Pali as Tirasanya Padatana, which means Satna strong perception, and Satna the second one is given as Kayadi Satipatana Padatana, which means the four establishments of mindfulness. Both of these will be explained. Now, when the perception of an object, be the object certain, uh, uh, strong or weak, it doesn't matter. If the perception of it is somewhat blurred or vague, then it will be difficult to be mindful of it. On the other hand, if footnote uh, the the perception of an object, even if it is a you know, distant, weakness sound, if the perception is strong, then our mindfulness will also be strong. Our mindfulness, it will be easy to work with for the mind to work with this certain object. So, if you know, the recording of, let's say, you know, some classical you know, concert is certainly done you know, with you know, uh, the state of you know, latest you know, technology, then the recording will be superb and certainly when we replay the recording, our mindfulness of it will also be very clear. Now, as for the second proximate cause, this then comes in the form of the four establishments of mindfulness, which means that moment after moment of continuous mindfulness, where one moment of mindfulness is connected with the next moment of mindfulness, will then result in further moments of mindfulness, and that mindfulness will even be stronger. So, 
moments of mindfulness ahead, the quality, the strength of moments of mindfulness in the future will depend on the mindfulness in the past and in the present. So, if our mindfulness has been pretty intermittent, pretty much off and on, then the result is going to be poor and weak mindfulness. But if the earlier mindfulness has been quite certain continuous, then we can expect the resulting mindfulness to be rather strong. No. Our explanations of mindfulness do not end with this. There are many other aspects that are important around mindfulness, aspects that mindfulness ideally should possess. One of those is immediacy, which means that as soon as some predominant object arises, our attention should go towards this object without any separation in time. It is only in this way, through immediate, immediately paying attention to an object, that we come to know the true nature of an object. The time aspect is an important one around mindfulness practice and objects, and so Objects of the past have gone by already. All that we have left of them is just a memory. The objects of the future have not arisen yet. All that we have of them is just an imagination. We might have some idea what might happen in the future, but this is not certain. So. Both objects of the future as well as of the past are uncertain objects, unreliable objects. What we have to deal with are the objects of the present moment as much as possible. Now, when a predominant certain object arises, and let us say a movement is involved, in such a case, it's important that our mindfulness is in sync with the respective object. So, as soon as the object arises, our mindfulness is right there, and then follows the object up to its very end. Now, 
Earlier on, it certainly was certainly mentioned that the term satipatthana contains the particle pa, and certainly this particle pa carries certainly certain significance. One of the interpretations here is mindfulness should have an extraordinary, be of an extraordinary, outstanding nature in Pali given as visita, or else, and also it certainly should be intensive and certainly persistent busata in the Pali scriptural language. And so, to say it just in a in a nutshell, we want we want a mindfulness that is not casual or ordinary, but an extraordinary, intensive, persistent mindfulness. Otherwise, once. Meditation will not develop very much. It is certainly the intensity that matters a lot. Intensity and certainly also the continuity of practice. Now, intensity in the sense of, let's say, when there's moments, one moment of mindfulness after another, then we can say this is a high-intensity, high-intensity mindfulness. But if we experience only one moment of mindfulness uh, a minute, yeah, then such kind of a mindfulness could be described as low-intensity uh, mindfulness. Now, mindfulness certain meditation uh, clearly has a dynamic aspect to it, if done properly, could be considered as one of the most dynamic activities. Sometimes things, a lot of things may happen within a very short period of time, and for this the mind needs to be sharp and also Dynamic. So, in this context, a certain rushing of the mind towards a prominent object is necessary, and this is this rushing towards the object is another aspect of the particle pa of the word satipatthana, and here interpreted as pakandana in the Pali scriptural language. So when a prominent certain object has arisen, and then we want to rush it uh, towards certain the object, and 
Yeah, the awareness should not be slack, should not be sluggish, casual, uh, nor lagging behind or being late. Now, apart from these aspects, whenever observing an object, we want to cover the entire object, we want to grasp the object firmly, and then we also want to pay much attention to the continuity or unbroken continuity. Now, the example that Satya, the Venerable Mahasi Sad of Burma, has given around the continuity of mindfulness is Satya, that of starting in the old days, so this is centuries, thousands of years ago, in the old days, when before the invention of matches and gas lighters, when a person wanted to light a fire, then he or she had to do so by taking a stick and then putting some wood shivels into a mold and then rubbing that stick continuously and the stick pointing at the wood shavings. And if that activity, that rubbing, would be done continuously and long enough, then enough heat would arise from friction and then finally there would be a spark and then a fire that would start from this. But if the intensity of this rubbing is off and on, so uh, rubbing for a little while and suddenly then you know, taking your rest to daydream, to think about something else, you know, then uh, how can any heat suddenly develop? How can uh, a spark uh, take place? Now, this continuity or unbroken continuity of mindfulness is something that we need to work on from the very beginning of our practice until the end of a a retreat or uh, even over something that we need to work on, not just uh, during one retreat, but over a longer period of time. And so... Indeed, um, when we you know, keep working on it, our, you know, this continuity of mindfulness can become pretty you know, good and certainly will then contribute certainly to um, uh, a continuous observation and knowing of what is actually you know, going on.
In the text, certainly there's at least one, probably even more, passages that certainly suggest that when observing an object, we should try not to interfere in the process. So an object is there, is certainly unfolding, and certainly then we just want to be the witness of certainly the show of what is certainly happening. And without trying to control things, without trying to, let's say, get rid of a pain or without immediately getting rid of some unwholesome mental state. So we simply just observe what is certainly happening. If really uh, a pain becomes excruciating, then yes, uh, we can you know, do something and certainly change you know, the posture. Or if really an unwholesome mental state is certainly getting out of hand, you know, then you know, we can you know, change tactics and certainly then maybe focus more on the body or some bodily object or simply open the eyes, get up and certainly do some walking meditation. Now, there's certainly a beautiful simile in the Majima Nikaya, namely that of an elephant tamer who tames a wild forest elephant. And certainly the reference is to Majima Nikaya, volume 3, section 136. So how does our elephant tamer tame the elephant by planting a large post in the earth and binding the forest elephant to it by the neck in order to subdue its forest habits and in order to introduce in the forest elephant habits that certainly are then congenial to human beings. The same thing goes for the four establishments of mindfulness. They can be seen as that as that large post in the earth, and so by applying the four establishments of mindfulness again and again. One subdues one's memories and intentions based on the household life to subdue one's distress, fatigue and fever based on the household life and in order that one may attain the true way and realize Nibbana. Now, there's another similar simile that suggests to bring our attention back to mindfulness of the body again 
and again. And Satnya, this is Satnya, the simile of Satnya, six kinds of um, animals, which different kinds of animals, which are all tied to one uh, strong uh, post. Now, a snake, you know, for instance, you know, that is tied to you know, this post will pull in one direction, thinking, let me enter an anthill. The crocodile, that is the second you know, animal tied to you know, this strong post, will you know, pull in a different direction of thinking, let me enter the water. A bird will pull upwards, uh, you know, thinking, let me fly up into you know, the sky. A dog you know, will pull yet in a different you know, direction, thinking, let me enter a village. A jackal you know, may you know, rather pull towards you know, the next charnel ground, and a monkey's you know, mind you know, is you know, set on entering a nearby forest. Now, they all you know, pull in different directions, but you know, since the post is very strong and strongly rammed into you know, the ground, you know, eventually you know, those certain you know, animals uh, uh, stop pulling uh, into those different you know, directions. And certainly they all you know, settle you know, somewhere near you know, the strong post. Now, those certain six certain animals pulling into different directions are a simile for us as human beings with our six sense doors and our attention being pulled once you know, to, let's say, some loud sound at you know, the next moment, maybe pulled you know, towards certain, a fragrant certain scent, and then the next moment it might be pulled to a very you know, soothing physical sensation or you know, maybe you know, to you know, some interesting mental uh, object or thought. So our mind is constantly darting, or our attention, our advertence, is constantly you know, darting from one sense door to another. And this is actually not very you know, satisf you know, satisfactory. And certainly, so mindfulness of the body, Gaya Nupasana Satipatthana in the Pali scripture language, is a way of tying down those certain sense or tying down the mind so that the mind then remains mostly with the physical objects and is less pulled towards the different sense doors. Now, a surgeon before undertaking surgery might use a probe and place the probe in the wound in the body 
in order you know, to you know, find out what you know, the status of this particular wound is. So in order to gain information about uh, the wound. So too, mindfulness is that probe of uh, a meditator, of a retreatant, that gathers information about the respective object of observation. And this then will prepare the ground for the arising of intuitive wisdom. Now, there's this beautiful story or simile that is mentioned in the Satipatthana Samyutta entitled, the discourse is entitled, The the Most Beautiful Girl of the Land. And at one time, the Buddha was residing in a town or place called Siddhaka, um, um, a town in the land of the Sumbus. And uh, he called Satna the Bhikkhus and addressed Satna them as follows. Namely, saying, an announcement certainly is being made. The most beautiful girl of the land will be dancing and certainly singing, so in other words, performing. And upon this advertisement, then a crowd of people gathers. Then, while she is certainly dancing, uh, and uh, exquisitely uh, dancing and singing, it is certainly uh, further being announced that this most beautiful girl of the, uh, the land is uh, exquisitely dancing and singing upon this, an even larger crowd certainly uh, gathers. There comes along a man uh, to whom life is certainly important, who wishes to live, and who does not wish to die. And certainly who prefers happiness over suffering. And it's so, and then there comes, uh, uh, comes another person, and certainly says, a good man, carry this pot of oil that is full to the brim with oil, carry this on your head between the crowd of certain people watching this most beautiful girl of the land and the woman dancing and singing. And if you spell just the least amount of oil from this pot or jar, then at that very place, um, a man that is following you with a sword, a drawn sword, will chop off your head. Uh, 
No, imagine you were in this situation. So you've carried this jar of uh, oil you know, on top of your head. Would you 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 then walk around suddenly casually looking at the rain outside or not? No, obviously not. So your attention then will be mostly directed to which object? Well, to that pot of oil indeed. And the attention will be an undivided attention. So an attention that is there with the object a hundred certain percent. Now, the Buddha says, explains to the bhikkhus, listen, this is just a simile that I have just made up. That, however, carries a certain meaning, namely that bowl of oil filled to the brim. This is a designation for mindfulness directed to the body. This simile may also, as Venerable Analayo has suggested in his book, Satipatthana, be interpreted, or may, may be interpreted in another way or another aspect, might be highlighted by saying that carrying this bowl of oil on one's head stands for balance and centeredness of our bodily activities. And we have to carry those out with mindfulness. Now, one thing is for sure. If you have to carry such a bowl of oil that is filled to the brim on your head, then mm, restraint of the senses will be perfect or not. It will be perfect. So your attention will no longer go outwards. It will no longer go to external sounds or external sights or odors. It will be just on the body. So what follows from a really well intensive mindful contemplation of the body is that restraint of the senses is automatically accomplished. Now, mindfulness has also be referred to as the one guard. It is by guarding the mind with mind, or it is the application of mindfulness to the mind that then brings about protection or guardianship.
and certainly this then can have various certain implications in terms of on an ethical level as certain well material level but we're not going to go into this now when observing prominent objects we want to do so without certainly keeping any concepts in the back of our mind without trying to put a concept onto the experience concepts are just crutches of the mind these are mental constructs certainly to simplify certain procedures in the mind, but they are not the real thing. So, when we observe objects, we try to do so in a really realistic manner according to our reality. Now, even though we live in a society that is strongly goal-oriented, yet in the mindfulness practice, this goal orientation doesn't work. And it's just the opposite, it's even counterproductive. So we gradually have to get used to the idea that we just practice for the sake of practice. We're just mindful from moment to moment. We try to know the nature of the respective object, and so that's it. And the amazing thing is, if we keep things as simple as this, then the practice will unfold quite naturally, and one day we might find to our surprise that the goal has been attained. Now, let me conclude today's Dhamma talk by wishing may mindfulness possess all of these qualities and thus may it contribute to the arising of concentration and also of ever greater and ever profounder level of intuitive wisdom and that hopefully one day then becomes noble liberating wisdom and this is it for today Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.